0: All right, well, we're there in Genesis chapter number 18, and on Sunday nights, we've been going through the book of Genesis, not the entire book. I've preached through the book of Genesis before, but we've been going through the portions that pertain to the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're studying the lives of the patriarchs, the men that started this thing that you and I today call Christianity And we dealt last week with Genesis chapter number 18, we dealt with the first part, basically up to about uh, verse 20, and we're going to just pick up right where we left off. Now, chapter 19 of the book of Genesis, very popular, uh, very well-known chapter, in the sense that it deals with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But when you, in, in Genesis 18, right before that chapter, we see what I think is a very interesting chapter, and it's basically Abraham bargaining with God and trying to get him to spare the nation to to spare Sodom and Gomorrah now we're going to talk about that tonight but I want to just kind of lay a foundation for you to kind of understand what's going on and, and why God is doing what he's doing look at verse number 20 there the Bible says and the Lord said because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous and I'm not preaching on this this morning but there's yet another verse to show today you've got all these liberals saying well you know homosexuality is a sin like any other sin no the Bible said that it was a very grievous sin. God said it's a very serious sin. He said, because the cry, God says, I hear the cry of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's a great cry. He said, many people are crying out to me that I would judge this, uh, these cities. You know, here's a question I have, because today you've got the liberals who say, oh no, the, the sin in Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't homosexuality, it was prostitution. In fact, you've got a modern Bible versions that will change it to say prostitution or to say fornication. Here's the problem with that. It, 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 and, and even today, you've got Christians will say, oh, you know, it was homosexuality, but these people, they're not predators. They're not perverts. They're not hurting anyone. Here's the question I have for you. If you really believe that, then who's crying out to God in Sodom and Gomorrah? Who is it that, because God says, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Someone was crying out to God and asking God to to bring vengeance upon upon this place. And God says, hey, I'm going to go down and see if their sin is very grievous indeed. Look at verse 21. He says, I will go down now. And I want you to notice this word. See whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now keep your place there in Genesis 18. And go with me to the book of Deuteronomy just real quickly. In the Old Testament, you got, you're there in Genesis. You're going to go past Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. When you get to Deuteronomy, uh, put a ribbon there. Put a bookmark there, something. Keep your place there. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Deuteronomy chapter 13. But let me, let me just explain something. ...in this passage. You know, last week we talked about the fact that God was omnipotent and God is omniscient. you remember that? And omniscient means that He's all-knowing. He knows everything. There's nothing that God doesn't know. All things are naked and open unto Him with whom we have to do, is what the Bible says. So, you know, you got to ask the question, why is God sending two angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah in order to verify, you know, to see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it? And the reason that God is doing that is not because He needs to do it, because God is all-knowing. God knows everything. But He's doing it to give us an example of the judgment of a city or of a nation. In fact, this entire... Uh, episode is just one big example of the steps that are taken in the Old Testament and by God to destroy a nation because later on God is going to establish a people called the nation of Israel and God is going to explain to them the steps that they are to take in order to destroy a wicked city so God kind of gives the example of how to do that in Genesis 18. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Look at Deuteronomy 13 and verse 12. Notice the instructions that God gave the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 13:12. The Bible says this, if thou shalt hear say. Now remember in Genesis 18:21, God said, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. He said, I've heard some things, and I'm gonna go see if what I heard is true. Well, in Deuteronomy 13, 12, he says, If thou hear, say, in one of thy cities, which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell therein, certain men, the children of Belial, who's Belial? That's Satan. That's the devil. He said, If you hear that certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which, have not, which we have not known. Notice verse 14. then thou sh- Then shalt thou inquire. All right? That's, that's what God is doing. He's explaining. He said, this is what you do. If you hear that there's something terrible going on, He said, you need to inquire. He's saying, you need to do your due diligence. Notice verse 14. Then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be truth, remember He said in Genesis 18, and if it be, uh, uh, and it, uh, which has come to, unto me, and if not, I will know. He says, and if it be truth, and the thing certain, That such abomination is wrought among you, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of the city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly, and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof, which the edge of the sword, and thou shalt gather all the spoil of it into the midst of the street thereof, and shalt burn with fire the city and all the spoil thereof every whit for the Lord thy God and it shall be in heat forever it shall not be built again. Understand what God is is doing here in the nation of Israel in their law they had instructions If, if they had a Sodom and Gomorrah in their land and they heard man down at Sodom they've got all this wickedness what they were to do is to send people over there to inquire to search to see if is it true and then what they were supposed to do is as a nation they were supposed to purge out that filth and literally they were supposed to kill everyone in the city they were to destroy the city burn it down and not allow it to be rebuilt uh, rebuilt again that's what God is going to do in Genesis 19 he says two angels down they verify that what's happening there is true and then God burns it down think about that now, of course, we don't live under, under uh, Old Testament law, and I'm not trying to get on the media again, okay? But, you know, it, think, think about if we, if we lived in a nation that lived in the laws of God. Here's what we do. We send two people out to San Francisco. <laughs> they say, yeah, it's as bad as we've heard. And then the righteous people would go and basically kill all the perverts, burn the city down, and not allow them to rebuild it. I mean, that's what he says. And that's the instructions that he gave. And I'm not saying we should go do that, all right? Let me just be that clear. Please don't send this to KCRA. But he's saying, you know, that's the instruction. So God, when he destroys Sodom, he models that. Even though he's omniscient and omnipotent, he still does the due diligence. He still sends the two angels. He still does the inquiry. He makes sure that it is true, and then he burns it down. So that, that's what's going on here. All right? And I'm just going kind of explain that to you so you understand the context. Go back to Genesis 18. Look at verse number 23. Genesis 18 and verse number 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? This is called intercessory prayer. Abraham is coming to God in prayer, not on his own behalf, but on the behalf of others. He's interceding on the behalf of others because remember Abraham has a, a nephew named Lot. He has, a niece, he has nieces and nephews. And he has family in, in Sodom. And, and, and he goes to God and he says, "Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now here's what I want you to understand. And for those of you taking notes, I want you to write this, this question down. How do we withhold God's judgment? How is it that you and I as believers, as, as Abrahams, can withhold the judgment of God, can push back the hand of God in order to not destroy a nation? Because all throughout the Bible we see the judgment of God coming down upon nations. Read the, the book of Isaiah. Read the book of Jeremiah. Read the book of these prophets. They're constantly prophesying destruction upon certain nations that God is going to destroy. And here's the question. One day, because of the wickedness of the United States of America, God will destroy this nation. Amen. The question is not whether he will destroy it, but when will he destroy it? Now, I believe that the U.S. is Babylon in anti-prophecy, and i preached an entire series on that. I'm not going to talk about that, but here's the question I have for you. How do you and I withhold the judgment of God? How do we keep the judgment of God from coming into to our nation, at least while we live, and try to give a chance for our children to live in whatever freedom and prosperity we, we are able to give them in the country in which we live? Here we see an example that the answer to that question, how do you withhold the judgment of God, is this. If there are enough believers in that nation, God will withhold His judgment. Because notice what the Bible says. Abraham said, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Look at verse 24. He says, Peradventure. The word peradventure means perhaps. He's saying, I'm not sure, God, but perhaps, let's say there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner. To slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, now notice what God says. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now look, Sodom was a wicked place. Sodom was filled with with the filthiest, perverted sins that the Bible tells us about. And God said, if there are 50 righteous, if there are 50 saved people, he said, I will spare even Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Abraham starts thinking about this, and he starts thinking to himself, there's no way there's 50 people (laughs) in Sodom and Gomorrah. So he begins to bargain. Look at what he says in verse 25. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee, shall not the judges of all the earth do right. Look at verse 26. And the Lord said, If I find a Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes." Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. I like how Abraham says that, and Abraham, you can tell that he, he's he's good at what he does. He's a good businessman. He's good, he's good at bargaining because the way he phrases it is to sound better. You know, here's what he's saying. You know, what if there's forty-five in in, in the city? But he makes it sound better because he says, "What if there's only lacking five of the fifty? And, and, you know, it's kind of like when you go to the store, and, and they and tell you, it's not $100, it's $99.99. And you're like, that's deal, you know? And that's kind of what he's doing. He's wording it properly. And, you know, that's just something I, I noticed there. And, uh, but notice what he says. He says, he says if there are like five of the 50, uh, 50 righteous, will not destroy all the city of the lack, for the lack of five. Notice the end of verse 28. And he said, if I find there 40 and five, I will not destroy it. God says, okay, Abraham, you find 45 righteous people. I won't destroy it. Look at verse 29. And he spake unto him and said yet again, and said, peradventure, there shall be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for 40, states." So he starts at 50, goes down 45, thinks about it some more, says, what about 40? And God says, all right, I won't destroy it for 40. Look at verse 30. And he said unto him, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, peradventure, there shall 30 be found there said, God, what if there's only 30? Will you destroy it for 30? And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be 20 found. He said, okay, God, what if there's 20? What if we could only find 20 righteous people in Sodom? And he said, I will not destroy it for 20, say. And he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. Abraham's thinking. Abraham knows lot. Abraham knows lot's not a soul winner. <laughs> Abraham knows lot's not getting me saved. But Abraham knows how many children Lot has, and how many of his children are married, and how many children grandchildren he has. And Abraham knows that if Lot has simply just gotten his own family saved, there would be ten righteous people in Sodom. So notice what he says, verse 32. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but this once. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. But I want you to notice that God does not allow the conversation to continue. When he said 50, God said, I won't do it for 50. 45, I won't do it for 45. 40, I won't do it for 40. 30, I won't do it for 30. 20, I won't do it for 20. When he gets to 10, notice verse 33, and the Lord went his way. He said, this conversation is over, Abraham. We've came to the magic number. We've came to the end of the line. You can't go lower than 10. He said, there must be at least 10 righteous people in Sodom, and I will spare it. I will not destroy it. And you and I know the story. There wasn't 10. And God destroyed it. Verse 33, and the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left communion with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. In the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, there, there had to have been at least 10 believers needed for, to withhold God's judgment. So how do we withhold the judgment of God? You withhold it by the amount of believers. If there are enough believers in a nation, God will withhold his hand of judgment. But if the number of believers goes down to a certain place, God says, I cannot promise that I will preserve that nation. Now, keep your place there in Genesis 18 and go into the book of Numbers. If you're, if, if, if you're going, if, if you were in Deuteronomy, just right before Deuteronomy's Numbers. If you're in Genesis, you got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers, chapter number 18. We talked about how do you withhold God's judgment. But let's talk about this. What is a covenant of salt? I told you this morning that I'll be preaching on the subject of a covenant of salt. Well, what is that? In Numbers 18, we find the phrase a covenant of salt, and I want you to understand what I'm talking about. Numbers 18 and verse number 19, notice what the Bible says. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee. I want you to notice this phrase. By a statute, notice this word, forever. Do you see that? It says by a statute forever. I want you to remember that word. It is a covenant of salt Notice this word, forever before the Lord, unto thee, and to thy seed with thee. In the Old Testament, we have this mention of a covenant of salt. And here we are told that it has to do with this idea of preserving something forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord. It used the word twice. In Bible times, you and I don't worry about this anymore now, but all throughout history, salt has been used to preserve Food, meat, and even other other things have been have been preserved by salt. And during Bible times, often people, if they if you if they thought about salt, they thought it's something we use to preserve. It's something we do use to keep something from from, from going bad or, or rotting away. And here God says, I made a covenant of salt with the people, and as long as there's enough salt to preserve the covenant, it'll last forever. He says it's forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. Let me give you another example. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter number 13. You're there in Numbers. You're going to go past Deuteronomy, past Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Look at verse number 5. Here's another mention of a covenant of salt. 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Look at verse 5. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David? Notice this word, forever. Do you see that? He said, I gave, I made a covenant with David forever. He's talking about preserving it. It was to be David's, even to him and to his sons, notice, by a covenant of Saul. Do you see that? whenever god mentions this idea of a covenant of salt he's talking about the fact that he's going to preserve that covenant he says david and his sons will be kings uh, of, of the nation of israel forever as long as they keep the salt as long as they preserve the covenant he said it will never go bad this idea of a covenant of salt is a covenant of preservation you say what does that have to do with sodom what does that have to do with believers go to matthew chapter 5 matthew chapter number 5 in the New Testament, it should be fairly easy to find. First book in the New Testament, chapter 5, I want you to notice verse number 13. You know the verse. It's a famous verse. When you get there, I'd like you to keep a ribbon or a bookmark there because we're going to leave it. We're going to come back to it. Matthew five thirteen. notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. God said that you and I, Jesus said that you and I as believers, we are the salt of the earth. And we we know from the Old Testament that a covenant of salt was a covenant to Preserve. Was it covenant? He said, the, 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 the covenant that I made with the children of Israel, it will last forever as long as the, the salt preserves it. He said, the covenant that I made with David and his sons, it will last forever. The kingdom will be his forever because it's a covenant of salt. And then we are told, hey, ye are the salt of the earth. He says, you and I as believers, we are the salt of the earth. So when God says, if I am going to preserve a nation, here's how I preserve a nation. As long as there's enough salt in the nation, it'll be preserved. If there was 50 salts, 50 grains of salt, 50 believers in Sodom, he said, I would not destroy it. If there was 45, I would not destroy it. If there was 40, I would not destroy it. If there was 30, 20. But he says, when you get below 10, that's not enough salt to preserve it. And I've got to destroy it. And see, God makes these covenant of salts with nations. He says, as long as there's enough believers in a nation, I will not judge it, I will not destroy it. But if there's not enough salt, then it cannot be preserved. You say, well, where else in Scripture do you find this principle being used of this covenant of salt? Well, of course, we saw, you can make your way back to Genesis. In Genesis 18, we saw the, one of the best examples of it where Abraham is bargaining back and forth with God and saying, if there be 50, if there be 40, if there be 30, if there be 20, if there be 10. But let me give you some examples of this throughout the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter number 15. We're there in Genesis 18, go to Genesis chapter 15 and look at verse number 13, all right? Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 13. We've already seen the example of Sodom, but let me give you another example where this covenant of salt applies. Genesis 15 and verse 13, the Bible says this, and he said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be strangers in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. God is talking we we dealt with this several weeks ago when we were Genesis 15. God is talking to Abraham, and he's explaining to him that his descendants are going to receive the land of Canaan. But he says, Abraham, they're not going to receive it yet. He says, in fact, it's going to be four hundred years before they come back to the land. He said, they are going to be uh, made to serve and be afflicted, by strangers in another land. And we know that's the nation of of Egypt. When we saw that prophecy already. Look at verse 14. He says, And also that nation whom they shall serve, that's Egypt, will I judge, and afterward uh, shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, He's telling Abraham, you're not going to see this in your lifetime, okay? This is 400 years down the road. He said, thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, he says, in 400 years, they... Who's the they there? That's the children of Israel. That's the nation of Israel. That's Abraham's descendants. He says, they shall come hither again. Now, we know from the book of Joshua that they came in and what did they do? They purged out the land. They cleaned up the land. They were God's judgment upon that nation uh, of people, upon the Amorites. But notice God says, Abraham, I'm going to use your people to judge these people. I'm going to give this land to your people but he says we're not going to do it yet in fact we're going to do it in 400 years you say why notice the last phrase in verse 16 for the word for means because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full he says the Amorites are bad but they're not bad enough he says they're, 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 they're losing salt but they've got enough salt to preserve them yet but because God is omniscient because God is omnipotent. Because God knows the beginning from the end. He says, Abraham, I'm not going to destroy the Amorites yet because their, their iniquity is not yet full. But he says, I know in 400 years there will not be enough salt to preserve them. And I will use your people to come and judge them. So we see the example of Sodom. We see the example of the Amorites. Let me give you another example. Go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number one. If you start at Psalms, you got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Isaiah. Let me give you the example of the nation of Israel itself. The nation of Israel itself. Isaiah chapter 1, look at verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 9. The Bible says this. I want, I'll wait a second for you to get there because I want you to see. It. Isaiah 1 9. Notice what the Bible says. "...except the Lord of hosts had left unto us..." Notice this phrase, "...a very small remnant." you see that? He said, "...except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah." Did you, did you catch that? He said, "...the nation of Israel would have been destroyed, just like Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed." But it wasn't destroyed because of the fact that there was a very small remnant. Here's the thing. If, if Isaiah would have stood to bargain with God to keep the judgment of God from coming upon the nation of Israel... And he would have bargained like Abraham. The only difference between the bargaining for the nation of Israel and the bargaining for the the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah is that Sodom and Gomorrah did not have enough believers in it to withhold the judgment of God. Fortunately for the nation of Israel, because there was a very small remnant, there was enough people there for God to not destroy them like Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me give you another example. Go to Revelation chapter number 6. Revelation chapter 6. So he saw the Amorites. God said, I'm going to destroy the Amorites. You say, God, why don't you destroy the Amorites right now? He said, no, 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 there's too much salt. There's enough righteousness there. I don't have to preserve, I I, I can preserve it still. But in 400 years, I will come in and I will destroy because their iniquity is not yet full. You say, God, why don't you destroy the nation of Israel? Well, I would destroy it. In fact, I would destroy it just like Sodom and Gomorrah. But there's a small remnant. There's enough salt. There's enough preservation there so I will not destroy it. Let me give you one more example. Other than the example of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18, I believe Revelation chapter 6 is the clearest example of this principle in all of Scripture. Revelation chapter 6. Now let me set the context for you a little bit. We're at the Great Tribulation. The big persecution of believers all over the world. That's what we're jumping into at Revelation chapter 6. Look at verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altars the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So he said he opened the fifth seal, and what did he see immediately? He saw all the believers that went through the tribulation period, that were persecuted, that were killed. He said, I saw the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. I know these preachers say, "Ah, we're not going to go to the tribulation. We're not going to, you know, we're just going to get raptured up. You're going to get the first one to get your head cut off. That's what's going to happen, because you're not going to see it coming. Because these people, as soon as it happens, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they're in heaven, and they're like, what happened? My pastor said it was pre-tribbed. You know, I should have watched that video on YouTube. Anyway, so he says, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, they were sent. And they cried, because these these people just got killed. All right? Did, Did you catch that? They were slain for the word of God. They were slain for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, notice what they're saying, how long? Remember God said about Sodom, I hear their cry? He says, now there's people crying to God and saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? They're saying, how long are you going to take God before you send your wrath upon the earth? How long are you going to take before you avenge us for all the wicked persecution that they brought upon us? And I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest, yet for a little season, don't miss this, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were, don't miss this, should be fulfilled. Do you understand what God just said? He said, I know some of you have died, but not enough of you have died yet. He said, here's the problem. I can't judge you yet. I can't judge them yet because there's still too much salt on the earth. He said, but the thing about the Great Tribulation is that they are attacking and destroying and killing and persecuting the one thing that is keeping my hand from judging and destroying the earth. And he says, right now they're at 50, right now they're at 45, right now they're at 40 or 30 or 20. But when it gets down to that number, whatever that number is, he says, when it gets down to the place where they've almost destroyed all the salt that preserves the earth, God says, it'll be easier for me to do what I did in Sodom. Which is to send angels in, and remove the salt, and then judge the earth. See, the only reason that God doesn't destroy this earth is because of the covenant of salt of believers. The only reason that God doesn't destroy the United States of America is because of the believers that are here. It's because there's not yet. You say, well, why did they destroy salt? Because there wasn't enough salt. Because there wasn't enough believers. Go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Look at verse number 28. Luke chapter 17 and verse number 28. Notice what the Bible says. Luke chapter 17 and verse 28. Luke chapter 17 and verse 28. Notice what God says about the end times. He said, and, and we saw there in Romans 6, in Revelation 6, He said, I need more of you to die. He said, there's too much salt on the earth, though. He said, I need more of you to be removed so that the covenant of salt is broken and I will destroy the earth. He said, I will avenge your blood. And, the, and we know that as the wrath of God that's poured down upon the earth. Luke 17, look at verse 28. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 17, notice what he says. Likewise also as it was in the days of who? Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be, In the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house... Let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife? Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in the night, in that night there shall uh, there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. That's when the angels come down and remove them out of Sodom. Two men shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, where, Lord? He said, Where are they going to be taken? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, hither will the eagles be gathered together. He's talking about the bodily resurrection. He's saying, they said, Where are you going to take them, God? He said, I'm going to take their body where the eagles are. And, for, and, and Thessalonians were told that we will meet him in the clouds. We will meet him in the sky. He said, he said, Eventually, there's so little salt, it's easier for me to just remove it and then destroy it. Just like Sodom. He said, in Sodom, there wasn't enough salt to preserve it. So I'm just going to send angels in. Verify that it's true. Remove the salt and destroy the city. See, how do you withhold God's judgment upon a nation? You do it by filling it with salt. It's a covenant of salt that God will not go back on. In fact, he will wait. He will even wait 400 years if he has to till the covenant of salt is broken, till there's less salt for his judgment to be able to come down. You say, okay, well, what do we do with this? Go to Luke chapter one. Here's what I want you to understand. And I hope this helps you understand, you know, who I am and, and, and Verity Baptist Church. Because around here, we push something a lot. You know what we push? We call it soul winning. We go out into the community. We not grow. You say, I can't believe you guys go out every week. Then you got the soul winning marathon. You got a soul winning marathon in Sacramento. You got a soul winning marathon in Vancouver. You got soul winning every Saturday. You got soul winning every Thursday. You got soul winning every Sunday. You you hire on staff and make them go soul winning all week. Why do you uh, 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 do so much soul winning? Why do you preach the gospel so much? Why do you care so much about it? And here's what you need to understand. You know, today we got all these Christians talking about God bless America. We love America. And here's what they think they got to do. They think, well, let's go and have some political, you know, activism. Let's go and, 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 and hold some signs in front in front of Planned Parenthood. Let's go, you know, and hold some signs uh, in front of the Capitol. Every week, I get an email from the Capitol Connection pastors, you know, Great Awakening Network. They want me to go down to the Capitol and have coffee with all these senators, and they say we're going to rescue America. You're not going to look, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton. None of those people are going to save America. The only thing that will withhold the judgment of God upon this nation is you. It's me. It's salt. It's believers. It's the cup. You say, I want to withhold the judgment of God. I'm not afraid to go through tribulation, but I don't really want to go through it. I don't want my children to go through it. I want to try to see how, how, how free we can be for how long and what can we do. Hey, the best thing you can do to save this nation is to get people saved. It's to preach the gospel. It's to reach salt, to reproduce more salt. Because the more salt there is, the more covenant of salt there is. God says, I'll preserve that nation. Even a wicked nation like Sodom, even Sodom and Gomorrah would have been preserved. If there was ten believers? You say, why was Sodom destroyed? Was it destroyed because of the homos? Look, I, I like to preach against the homos. I don't know if you noticed that. I think that's what I'm going to go down in history for the rest of my life. <laughs> Just Google my name. But let me tell you something. Sodom was not destroyed because of the sin of sodomy. It was destroyed because of lame Christians like Lot who were not willing to be salt in Sodom. Amen. Are there in Luke 1? Notice what the Bible says. Look at verse 13. This ought to be our goal and our, our testimony. Luke 1.13 says this, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. This is talking about John the Baptist being born. Look at verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Look at verse 16. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Wouldn't it be good if that was said of you and me? Wouldn't it be good if it was said of Verity Baptist Church, you know what, we didn't like what they said, and we didn't like how they said it, and we didn't like their stands, and we didn't like their preaching, and we didn't like their pastor, and we didn't like their buildings, and we didn't like anything about them, but you know, they did turn many of the American people, of the Sacramento people, to the Lord their God. See, the best thing that you and I can do to save this nation is to turn people to God, is to fulfill the Great Commission, is to get people saved and help them grow and learn and be disciples. Why? Because what withholds the judgment of God is salt. It's what preserves the nation. It's what preserves the people. Go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Look at verse 26. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26 should be fairly easy to find. Genesis 4.26, the Bible says this. We saw the announcement of the birth of John. But notice here we see another announcement. In Genesis 4.26, the Bible says this. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Now notice what the Bible says. He says, Enos was born. Then it says this. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Isn't that good? I'd, I'd like to go down to history, is that? You know what I'd like them to say about... Roger Jimenez, i like him to say, you know, Roger Jimenez showed up uh, uh, in Sacramento, Verity Baptist Church started, and then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. You know what I would love love them to say? Verity Baptist Church planted a church up there in, in, in Vancouver, Washington, in the Portland area with all those freaks and homos up there. But as soon as they got up there and they start soul winning and they start preaching, then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. They turned many people to the Lord their God. See, the greatest thing you and I can do with our lives is reach people with the gospel. That's why we put soul winning. That's why we do soul winning marathons. That's why we do have soul winning seminars. That's why we'll drive up 12 hours to Washington to go knock doors to people we don't know and we don't live there. Why? Because the only way to preserve a nation is salt. It's not the Republicans. Not the Democrats. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings but it's not the Libertarians. It's soul winning. It's the gospel. It's reaching people. Second Chronicles 7.14. This is the last place we'll look at. 2 Chronicles 7.14. You can find the one and two books, 1st 2nd Samuel, 1st 2nd Kings, 1st 2nd Chronicles. Say, so why was Sodom destroyed? Because of wickedness of the homos. That was part of it. In fact, that's the answer. But why was Sodom not spared? Because of Lot. Because of lame Christians. Because, see, Lot was just a little too busy to go so on Lot was a little too embarrassed to even give the gospel to his own son-in-law's. Lot was just a little too busy to do something for God. 2 Chronicles 7.14, notice what the Bible says. If my people. See, we like to turn around and say, it's them, it's the drunkards, it's the abortion crowd, it's the homo crowd, it's the transgender crowd. But that's not what God said. God says, "If, if my people. He says, if my people, which are called by my name. Don't you call yourself a Christian? If my people, which are called by my name. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Even if your land is the United States of America, even if your land is the United States of America, even if you are Lot in Sodom, God will heal your land if my people would turn. See, you're not saved spiritually by repenting of your sins but nations are preserved nations are saved when Christians turn from their wicked ways when they seek God when they pray when they humble themselves what's the hope for America? I'm looking at it it's you and I and I will say this if America is destroyed we can blame Bruce Jenner all day long (laughs) we can blame Obama all day long we can blame Hillary Clinton all day long, but if America's destroyed, it'll be your fault and it'll be my fault. Right. Because how do you spare a nation? You establish a covenant of salt. Ye are the salt of the earth. Let's bow our heads.